You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. So I got my grandpa's initials because he's really important to me. And through his life, he led me to Christ. Even after he passed away, I thought a lot about him. And he's just an example of what a godly guy is. And I just like to be reminded of him. And this is the one that if I don't have shoes on, people can see. But it's the only tattoo that will ever be really visible to people. I don't want it to be a pride issue. Like, let me show the world like my tattoos. I don't feel like for me, it's about showing that. Good morning. We all want to make a statement, don't we? We live in a culture that's conditioned us to make statements, and one of the most powerful ways that people today in our culture try to make a statement is through tattoos. And in just a few minutes, we'll talk a little bit about what the Bible says about tattoos, and it may surprise some of you. And so we're going to walk through that a little bit. But I just want to talk about how you're conditioned to make a statement. You're conditioned to reply, to communicate, to update your status. And different generations update their status differently. Have you noticed? Like, for example, if you're an elderly person or you go and you're around elderly people, the first thing that they're going to update one another on is their health status, right? What aches, what pains, what hurts, and what conditions they have. And that's just how they start off the conversation. It's how they connect. They have, hey, we've got common ground. We want to update our status. Uh, If you're a little bit younger than that, let's say that you are a parent. If you're a parent, typically you're going to start off talking about your kids or the activities that you do or how you mom or dad so hard. Just what a great job you think you're doing in parenting, and that's what you do. If you are a man uh, and you update your status, typically you're going to update with sports or news or work stuff. Uh, Many women are going to update their status based on work or life hacks or inspirational verses, and those are going to pop up. If you are male or female and your metabolism hasn't changed, if that's you, just applaud for just a minute. That you, you're right for you. I've got we've got a lot to blame for you, but for you, if your metabolism hasn't changed, it starts with your coffee, then your breakfast plate, then your second breakfast, then your lunch plate, then your wine tasting, your dinner and desserts. Like we just know exactly all the calories you had on a given day because that's how you update it because your metabolism has not yet changed. Young adults start off not talking about issues; they start off talking about the friends that they're with. That's how they update their status. Here's who I'm with, and then they go from there, and then they begin to talk about social causes and issues. If you're a teen or you're a preteen, you update your status based on emotions. And then you move to song lyrics, which exactly describe your emotions. Then you go back to emotions, or your pets, or Fortnite. That's just what you do if you're a teen or preteen. This is how it works. This drive to update is nothing new. People have been doing it in different ways for years. One of the permanent ways people have updated their status or their feelings or their expression is through tattoos. And always at the center of controversy uh, comes up the issue in churches or in church circles, the issue of tattoos. And so I want you to look for a moment at this video that describes what the Bible says about tattoos. Will you watch the screen? Tattoos are more popular than ever in many parts of the world. The number of people with tattoos has increased dramatically in recent years. Tattoos are not just for delinquents or rebels anymore. The edginess of rebellion historically associated with tattoos is starting to wear off. 
The New Testament does not say anything about whether or not believers in Jesus Christ should get a tattoo. Therefore, we cannot say that getting a tattoo is a sin. Because of Scripture's silence, getting inked falls under the category of a gray area, and believers should follow their convictions in the matter, respecting those who may have different convictions. Here are a few Bible passages with some general biblical principles that may apply to getting a tattoo. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Children are to honor and obey their parents. For a minor to get a tattoo in violation of his or her parents' wishes is biblically unsupportable. Tattoos born of rebellion are sinful. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Outward adornment is not as important as the development of the inner self and should not be the focus of a Christian. A person who desires a tattoo to garner attention or draw admiration has the vain, sinful focus on self. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. God sees the heart and our motivation for anything we do should be to glorify God. Motivations for getting a tattoo such as to fit in, to stand out, etc. fall short of the glory of God. That tattoo itself may not be a sin, but the motivation in getting it might be. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19-20 through 20. Our bodies, as well as our souls, have been redeemed and belong to God. The believer's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. How much modification of that temple is appropriate? Is there a line that should not be crossed? Is there a point at which the proliferation of tattoos on one's body ceases to be art and starts becoming sinful mutilation? This should be a matter of individual reflection and honest prayer. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. We are Christ's ambassadors, delivering God's message to the world. What message does the tattoo send, and will it aid or detract from representing Christ and sharing the gospel? Romans chapter 14, verse 23. Whatever does not come from faith is sin, so the person getting a tattoo should be fully convinced that it is God's will for him or her. We cannot leave the discussion of tattoos without looking at the Old Testament law that prohibited tattoos. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. The reason for the prohibition of tattoos in this passage is not stated, but it is likely that tattooing was a pagan practice connected with idolatry and superstition. It was probably common for the pagans to mark their skin with the name of a false god or with a symbol honoring some idol. God demanded that his children be different. As he reminded them in the same verse, I am the Lord. The Israelites belonged to him. They were his workmanship and they should not bear the name of a false god on their bodies. While New Testament believers are not under the Mosaic law, we can take from this command the principle that if a Christian chooses to get a tattoo, it should never be for superstitious reasons or to promote worldly philosophy. The bottom line is that getting a tattoo is not a sin per se. It is a matter of Christian freedom and should be guided by biblical principles and love. And that's what the Bible says about tattoos. Christians need to have an honest discussion with themselves, right, to see if they want to stand out from the culture or whether they're trying to use the culture's practices to try to fit in. Sometimes the medium can become the message. I don't know if you understand that principle, but sometimes the mode or the medium we use to communicate is more important than the actual communication you use. So, for example, if you were to tweet to somebody about not tweeting so much, the medium has become the message. 
because you've tweeted to talk about not tweeting. If you use a television show to tell your kids about they should watch less television, the medium has become a message. You want to change the medium to still communicate the message because sometimes the medium can become the message. And no matter what you said, and, and I've yet to meet the Christian who just said, you know, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this figured out with tattoos. And if someone said, hey, man, what, is, what does the Bible say about tattoos? And like as if they tattooed all that information on their arm, they're like, I'm grateful you asked. And they just start pulling up their sleeve, right? And just saying right here, everything the Bible says about tattoos, I just want to tattoo it on my arm. You get, you know, get a sleeve. Again, tattoos, getting them is not a sin. And some of us have old time uh, traditions or expectations. Some of us have a huge issue of conscience with it. And you should listen to that. Others of you have a, an issue with the freedom of it. And you need to be understanding with one another as the video kind of described. What we're going to do is we're going to talk in this series about what it means to be inked. And we're going to use some of the tattoo terminology to do that. But what we're doing is we're really saying, what does it mean to be inked? How are we actually inked by God? It's in a different way. Here's why you need this sermon. We live in such a strong culture of image. You might actually wonder, do people see the transformation of God in me on the inside if I don't do something on the outside? If I don't wear the Christian t-shirt, if I don't have a little Christian fish on my car, if I don't have a cross or a tattoo somewhere, like, can people actually see the transformation that God's doing in me? Sometimes you think your image and your faith are invisible, that you just blend into culture that nobody really notices if you're a believer. However, when you allow the Spirit of God to begin to transform you, you become absolutely mesmerizing to a lost person. That they see something in you, a light, a positivity. They see something in you that's mesmerizing to them. They can't put their finger on it. And frankly, sometimes it annoys the heck out of them. They don't know what that is about you, but there's something in there and it's mesmerizing to them. See, we want to let God's Holy Spirit begin to work in us and through us. So take out your outline this morning. We're going to be, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And if you have your outline today and you want to take some notes down on that outline, but the first point is this, that God would much rather have his mark on who you are than have you be a billboard for who you advertise to be. I have plenty of friends who are Christians and have great tattoos. And they are walking with God in a way that somebody who doesn't have tattoos and maybe is wearing a Christian t-shirt is not. God would rather have his mark on who you are on the inside than have you be a billboard in any other way than who you advertise to be. And the theme verse for this series comes from 2 Corinthians 3.3. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, Jewish people and Gentiles, and he says this, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with what? With ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human what? Hearts. Okay, so we have this picture here that Paul begins to draw out. And, and, and what he's done in the previous chapter is he's basically saying, do we need to validate our ministry? And if we're going to validate our ministry, we probably need like letters of recommendation. And he's saying, do we need like, do we need references? Do we need to put together a resume and references? And he's saying, no, 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 you who have believed our message about Jesus Christ in Corinth, you are the letters of recommendation. That's what he's saying. But he talks about it in a little bit different way. And Paul, on and off throughout this passage, is going to talk about the letters. And he's going to talk about that we are inked on the inside by God. He also is going to talk about the fact that there is an Old Testament 
letter, the Mosaic Law. He's going to talk about the New Testament, the new covenant in Christ. And so he's going to go back and forth with this imagery of letters and then writing and being inked and then the Old Testament and New Testament covenants. And so I want you to go ahead and look, if you will, with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? He says, you yourselves, right, you are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by who? By everyone. So everybody, I just want to time that out. Everybody sees what God's doing in you. You might think it's hidden. You might think it's secret on the inside. But when you are allowing the spirit of God to transform your life, it becomes evident to everyone. He goes on and says this, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts, such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves or claim anything of ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So he's saying, listen, you and I, we have been inked by God. And we've been inked by the Spirit of the living God. Not ink that was written on stone or, or letters that were chiseled into stone when the law was given. Not talking about skin that may be tattooed or not talking about being sprayed by an octopus. You've been inked, but you've been inked by God. He, the Spirit of the living God is inked, has written on your heart. Number two on your outline, every time people saw the transformational lives, the transformed lives of the Corinthians, they were reading the letter written by the Spirit of God. It was continually being made known. They were saying, listen, we've believed in Christ here in Corinth, but we're not sure that what God has done in us is evident to everybody. And we're not sure, you know, Paul's saying, when we come back there, do we need letters of recommendation? He's going, no, you're the letters of recommendation. Everybody in town has seen that your lives are being transformed by God. Like, you're the evidence. We don't need these letters of recommendation. The message was fresh and it was clear to everyone that God was transforming their lives. And when God writes on the heart, it, I love it because it's not dependent on style. Could you imagine if, if God wrote on the heart, but it was like on the outside, well, you'd be like, oh, you were that generation. It's not dependent on style. It doesn't fade like sometimes tattoos fade. It's not dependent on sagging skin. But God tattoos, he inks us on our heart. He is written on our heart. When you're inked by God, you become letters proclaiming the new covenant through Christ's death and resurrection and coming return. Why is this important? Paul making a distinction here, and I want you to catch it, because sometimes you look at the Bible and you're like, I don't get it in the old and I don't get it in the new. Like, what's going on there? And Paul's writing some things that would be confusing to some, but we're going to unpack that together today. I think you'll find it helpful. Number three in your outline, the letter of the Old Testament law, which is the Mosaic law, kills in two ways. So what? The law kills? Yes, it does in two ways. First, the letter kills through the frustration, shame, and inability to keep the law perfectly. This is what we call the living death. 
So here, the Mosaic law was given to the Israelites. They were to walk in it. They were to obey it. They had sacrifices, and the sacrifices required death of an animal so that their sins could be washed away. But regardless, even if their best efforts, you couldn't fully, absolutely keep perfectly the law. So people who were seeking to be saved by keeping the law would experience frustration because they were unable to keep the law perfectly. They were unable to be saved by keeping the law to perfection. And it was frustrating. So here, here they got the law, but they weren't able to keep it perfectly, so all the law did is begin to reveal sin. Paul describes this in his own experience when he is a Pharisee. Before he knew Jesus, as a Pharisee, he was trying to perfectly keep the Mosaic law. And he says this in Romans chapter 7, verse 9. He says, once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought what? Death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. He talks about the living death, the inability of a person to be saved by perfectly obeying the law because you just can't do it. Have you ever felt that frustration in yourself? You want to obey God. You want to do it perfectly. You want to do things right. And then there's sin just springs forth and has this opportunity. The Old Testament, the Mosaic law brought death. It's called the living death. But it kills in the second way. And the second way is that the letter kills through eternal death, the condemnation to hell. So the Old Testament law not only kills in a living death, it kills in an eternal death. The Old Testament law was written on, tablet, on tablets that made people aware of sin and brought the condemnation of eternal death. And here's what happened. When the Old Testament law was given to Moses on tablets of stone, he chiseled them in there. When he came down on the mountain, Moses looked different. He had been in the presence of God. He was given the Mosaic law of God. He comes down off the mountain and he's glowing. Wouldn't that be weird? Your husband came home from work one day and he's just glowing. Like neon, like green, like he just walked down the hallway and like it was illuminated around him. Your kids might freak out. Like ladies, when you wear a mask, you put that on to take care of your skin and you walk out and your kid sees you and they start crying. It would be like that, right? Like there's this reaction, like oh, Moses is glowing and that, that's what happened. He was in the presence of God and he, he walked out and then all of a sudden he's glowing. So there was this glory of God that came along with the handing down of the law. There was a glory that accompanied the giving of the law. And for Moses, it made him glow. He was in the presence and the glory of God, and he began to glow. But it freaked people out. And so what he did is, while he was still glowing, he put a veil over his head. Because he didn't want people to be freaked out that he was glowing, and that glowing, that glory was fading. It was getting less and less. So while while he was glowing, he put the veil over his face so he didn't freak the Israelite people out that their leader was glowing. And so Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, right, the giving of the Old Testament Mosaic law, which was engraved on letters of stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not steadily look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be more glorious? So let me just picture that out for you. It came with glory 
and that glory was fading, but would not, not the Old Testament Mosaic law, but the law of freedom in the new covenant and through Christ, wouldn't that glory be even better? Wouldn't that glory be even better because it doesn't necessarily fade? He says this, verse 9, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? He's comparing the Old Testament covenant and the new covenant through Christ. He's saying both had glory, but one of those glories faded and it came with glory, but it didn't last. But how much more the one that's permanent? He goes on and says this, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. I've been to Israel. I've been to the Western Wall, which is the closest point that people can get to the place where the temple was built up on top of the temple mount but it's the place closest place they're allowed and day after day you have jewish people who are reading the mosaic law they're reciting it they're calling it out they're bringing prayers before god but as they do as they read the law they are not being revealed to them the truth about christ they're they're recapturing if you will a glory that is fading in other words their minds are dulled their minds are not sharp their minds are not open because they have this veil that keeps them from understanding the good news of jesus and only when a person turns to faith in christ is that veil then removed That's what Paul is saying. And he's saying when that veil gets removed, guess what? Everybody sees the transformation that's going on in you because the spirit of the living God has inked your heart. He's inked your heart. Just as tattoos fade, so the glory of the Old Testament law faded. Right? The Old Testament law made the Jewish people aware of sin and what God's holiness actually looked like. That was the purpose of the law, to reveal what sin was and to give them guidelines for what holiness of God looked like. That was the purpose of the Old Testament law. Number five, through the sacrifice of Jesus, the Holy Spirit now brings a lasting ministry with glory that will not fade. Now I've heard that there's some people saying, we gotta get more of the glory of God. I got to tell you, when you turn to Christ, this passage tells us that you've got the glory of God. It is written on your hearts. It is working in and through you. What we really need to do is just keep responding to the Holy Spirit, and that glory shines. It's in you. You don't need more of God's glory. You've got all that you need to live a godly life. But we participate with what God wants to do in us and then through us, and that glory shines. Let me explain what a covenant is. In the Old Testament, there was a covenant. If you break the Old Testament Mosaic law, you had to perform a sacrifice. And the way that, that God created a covenant with Abraham and the line that would become the Jewish nation is that they took an animal and they sawed it in half, but it, the long way, and they put half on this side of a little hill and that half on the other side of a little hill, and there was a trench in the middle, and all the, all the stuff is gross, but all of it would run down in the middle. And then you'd take your shoes off, and Abraham and God 
walked through that offal, that runoff that came from the inside of the animal to the other side. And the symbol was this. If you break the law, what happened to that animal should happen to you. And if I break the law, what happened to that animal should happen to you. It's a covenant. Well, could we perfectly keep the covenant? No. The Mosaic law was the covenant that brought death, that killed. It brought living death, it brought eternal death. It was frustrating. So here they would try and try again, but God said, I have a plan all along because I will keep my part of the covenant, but you can't keep yours. But praise be to God because God said, through Christ, I will create the final sacrifice, a new covenant in the blood of Jesus so that we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. He's saying, you didn't keep your end, but I love you so much that I, as God in heaven, I will not change my law. My law is just, it's right, it's pure, it's holy. God is so just. He's also so loving that he said, I'm not changing my rules. I'm going to go ahead and take the consequence for the rules and I will pay the half of the covenant that couldn't be kept. What kind of love is that? It's hard to wrap our minds around. So often Jewish people who hold to the Mosaic law, they go, no, no, no it's still all about the law. And a New Testament believer is going to say, no, it's, it's about Christ fulfilling the law. What great news that is. What freedom that is. The Old Testament law brings trapping. The Old Testament law brings death. But the New Testament brings freedom in Christ. So the old covenant brought punishment requiring the sacrifice of animals and no real promise of glory. Its glory was fading. It just didn't last. It became more of a frustration and a living and eternal death. But through the sacrifice of Christ, the Holy Spirit now brings a lasting ministry with glory that will not fade. What a great news that is in Jesus. So when you love others, when you love other people, you're fulfilling the law. You say, well, I thought Christ fulfilled the law. He did. But he did it through the act of loving others. The New Testament is very clear that when you and I love other people, we are fulfilling the law. And how much better, how much more glory is it if you and I love other people who don't think like you, who don't act like you, who don't speak like you, who don't love like you. They just love themselves. They're lost. They do what lost people do. They try to create their own glory. But how beautiful is it when you and I love other people? In that moment, you and I are fulfilling the law. You say, how is that possible? Because you have the Spirit of God through Christ in you. He has written on your human heart. He has inked you. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 and 10 says this. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has what? Fulfilled the law. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. What's he saying? Listen, you had all this frustration all your lives of trying to fulfill the law, and you couldn't fulfill the law, but because of Christ, because he's fulfilled it. Now, when you love others like Christ did, you fulfill the law. And there's a freedom in that. There's a glory that keeps shining that's kept in heaven for you. So when you and I gave our lives to Jesus, let me make this real clear for you. It's a good reminder for me as well. When you and I gave our lives to Jesus, we gave up the right to treat other people poorly. 
If your beliefs cause you to treat other people poorly, then there's something wrong with your beliefs. When you and I gave our lives to Jesus, we gave up the right to treat other people poorly. Now, do we at times treat other people poorly? Especially the people closest to us? Of course. We have that tension between the flesh and the spirit. But we have been freed to love other people where before we were freed only to complete as best we could the law and it was frustrating. But it's a beautiful thing that when you and I give our lives to Jesus, we are now free to love, not simply free to try to perform under the Old Testament law. So the Old Testament law was used by Jewish people. Frankly, if you read the Bible, it was used by Jewish people in the Old Testament to discriminate, to hate, and to marginalize others. The new covenant in Christ has fulfilled the law, and we are now called the love people. So you go, how is it that God like let people in the Old Testament like kill off other nations and, and discriminate against them and be elitist? And, and it was because the law brought death. The law was frustrating. The law was for the Jewish people of that time, and it couldn't do it. But Christ's plan and purpose all along was to save people from every nation and tribe and tongue. And when you and I get to heaven, it will be the United Nations of heaven. It will be every tribe, language, nation, people group that has ever existed. You and I will worship before the Lord. It'll be a beautiful thing. So under the new covenant in Christ, the Spirit gives life. No more animal sacrifice. God's wrath satisfied for those who turn to the Lord through Jesus' sacrifice. All God's wrath was poured out on Jesus on the cross for your sin, for my sin. And you know what happened to God's wrath? When God now looks at us, he looks at us, but it's turned aside. The word is called propitiation. That the wrath of God is turned aside and it was put on Christ. And because of that, you and I have freedom. We're free to love. We're free from condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. His wrath was poured out on Christ, and Christ traded to us his righteousness, and he took upon himself our sins. You see what good news that is? You see that when that happens, suddenly you and I become a billboard for the transformational work of Christ. Otherwise, we used to just be performers. We used to just have to try to do the sacrifices, and that's what the Jewish people were doing. But they're in a New Testament context under the new covenant through Christ's blood. They have the assurance of heaven after death. They have the transformation of the Holy Spirit in this life. God's glory is not fading. It's lasting, it's acceptable, and it's secure. And it works in and through you. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16 and following says, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces, right? We have the understanding, our faces have been unveiled. Contemplate the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. Which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Well, there's freedom from what? When the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from the letter that kills with living death. Freedom from letter that kills with eternal death. We're free and our glory is assured. It's growing as we participate with God. God's transformation has begun in and through you. And it shines greater and greater to those around us. Why? Because you've been inked by God. And he inked you on the inside. You know the other place that God inks you and I? 
He writes your name. When you turn to the Lord, he writes your name in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. There's a record. There's a personal entry. There's a moment where you turned away from self and you turned toward Jesus where you believed that his death on the cross paid for your sin and that you as a free gift, if you're willing to put faith in what he did on the cross, would receive eternal life. There's a moment where your name was inked in heaven. And as a deposit right now, it's been written on the human heart on the inside. God doesn't need it on the outside. He needs it on the inside. If we've got things on the outside, whether we're wearing a piece of clothing, whether we have a tattoo, let's let God use that stuff for his glory. Let's stop getting hung up on things where we don't love people because how they look or we don't love people because they don't look as edgy as you do. That we basically come and say, hey, they're like, oh, they're not giving me my freedom and so you're being mean toward them. Or on the flip side, that you're saying, oh, they took license with their freedoms and then you're being mean to them. No, we are free to love. We are free to love. And we're all, God already made us with a lot of diversity. He made us look very different. And let me tell you, if you want to reach lost people, always ask about their tattoo. Because everybody's got a story. And that will be a door to open up from someone who has the veil and doesn't understand Jesus. And it just might be the thing that helps bridge the gap so you can throw that veil off and they might see Christ for the first time. See, that was God's plan from the beginning. You think, oh, I don't know if that was God's plan from the beginning. Well, let's let God speak for himself through the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Jeremiah, being carried along by God's Holy Spirit, wrote this in Jeremiah 31, 33. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that what? Oh, after that time. So God will make a new covenant in the future, right? Declares the Lord, I will put my law where? In their minds. Where was it before? On tablets of stone. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. It was God's plan all along. Not just to give a law that brought the fr uh, frustration and death while living and condemnation of death after death eternally. But it was the heart of God all along to write and ink your heart that he wants to ink you and he wants for that transformation that God's doing in you to make a difference in the people around you. And sometimes we get so worried or so offended that, that we might offend someone else. Let me tell you, it, what is happening in you when you respond to God is mesmerizing to other people. They don't get it. It's a whole new thing for them. Like how can you have a faith when the world is going so crazy? How can you be stable when you're being persecuted? How, how can you have a soft heart with all the hard things that have happened in your life? That makes no sense. It's mesmerizing. And they want to know what has gone on inside of you. Do you have the letter inked on your heart by God's Holy Spirit? When you turn toward the Lord, your condemnation is lifted and you are free. Can you imagine? The letter of God's work in you being so obvious to everyone. He said, listen, I don't need a letter of recommendation. Your transformation in your lives is my letter of recommendation as a traveling missionary. That's what Paul is saying to the people of Corinth. Your transformation is my letter of recommendation. But let me tell you, it's not just read by me. It's read by everyone. And can you imagine 
the letter of God's work inked on your heart being obvious to everyone. Can you imagine if the people who made up Sun Grove Church shared the freedom they have and experience with those who are mesmerized by the love of God in you? Can you imagine showing that love to them because when you love, you fulfill the law? Can you imagine leaving the roller coaster of self-condemnation where you go down and you feel horrible about yourself, then you feel lifted up again, then you go down again and you feel horrible about yourself and be lifted up and just say, God, use me. God, let your glory shine through me. God, as I participate with your Holy Spirit, make it shine. Let your light shine. When you and I do that, you and I live as free people in Christ. We love other people right where they're at. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life for a moment. I want to ask you, have you put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross, that Jesus being God fully intended to leave heaven and suffer and die and take the wrath of God upon himself for your sin and satisfy it? And then he wants to make you a new creation and wash you as white as snow. He wants to transfer the righteousness of one who has never sinned to you in trade for all the sin that he took away from you and satisfied on the cross. If that's you today, then will you just pray a prayer like this? You're just introducing yourself to Jesus. Just say this, Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to come into my life. I believe what you did on the cross was done for my sin, that you were buried that you conquered death and rose to new life, that you're coming back again. I ask you to wash me as white as snow. Create a new heart inside of me because today I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.